0: pharmacy podcast nation we appreciate all you do every day people who work in pharmacy make positive change possible something altimed understands Altimed's pen needle Altiguard safe pack helps people in pharmacy fulfill their roles as leaders for their patients and in their communities Altiguard safe pack pen needles are an fDA cleared product that provides 100 premium pen needles in a sharps container all in one convenient package system. When you dispense the UltiGuard Safe Pack, you protect families and your community from sharps injuries and you remove medical waste from the environment. To learn more, visit UltiguardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. That's UltiguardSafepack.com forward slash podcast. When you dispense the Ultiguard Safe Pack, you choose positive change.
1: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. is the pain pod you want to see pain look at these (laughs) welcome to the pain pod the podcast for all things pain management hosted by the pain guy dr mark groffoli We'll be collaborating with numerous pain management experts talking about substance usage disorders, the latest treatment modalities, and most important, important. focusing on the pain of our patients as leading providers of pain care. And now, here's our host, a man wanted in all 50 states, a suburban city-like mountain man without the beard from the hills of West Virginia, and certified in weapons of mass destruction response, it's Dr. Mark Garofoli. All right,
0: welcome back everyone to the pain pod. I'm sure you enjoyed the intro, of course, as we all do. Uh, So here today, I I really I I couldn't be happier with the episode that we're about to to bring to you here today. So thank you for coming back to the Pain Pod. Uh, We always say come one, come all to the Pain Pod. But we're we're going to get in the thick of things here today. We've got a gentleman joining us where I guarantee you've heard of him. Uh, Have you ever been asked, um, oh ma'am, sir, are you the pharmacist? Well. Our guest today actually answers with, I am the pharmacist. So I'm sure you've probably uh, heard that one before and uh, good golly, I'm sure everybody's probably seen things on Netflix and whatnot, but uh, in jumping in here, let's, let's just set the pace for our discussion here today because sometimes things get a little wicked, not only on the pain pod, uh, but there, there's ups and downs. There's two sides to every coin, there's 50,000 sides to every Bitcoin, right? Just to keep us updated. but. You know, here in our country, here in America, uh, you could do all the epidemiology studies you want, but on average, every seven minutes, an American dies of a drug overdose, every seven minutes. Uh, think about that. Think about how long our conversation is here today, divided by seven. That's human lives. That's heartbeats. Uh, other side, the coin, while well, a baby is born dependent, not addicted, but dependent to opioids every 30 minutes. That's every half hour, folks. But is that the whole picture? You know, there's a lot going on in the world. Good golly, there's there's pandemics, perhaps even more than one, right? Uh, When we talk about the opioid crisis, opioid epidemic, perhaps opioid pandemic and whatnot. But there's other things too. I I mean, every year in our country, 100,000 people die of alcohol related deaths. That's 100,000. Add that on to, everyone remembers the big tobacco era, and now we have vaping, e-cigs, and the list goes on, but every year, a half a million Americans die from tobacco-related annual deaths. There's a lot going on there, but we as healthcare professionals, we as pharmacists, let's get down to where we can help. Now, speaking of pharmacists, we we, we got the pharmacist here today. Um, uh, enough from me. I, I would just like to introduce everybody to the pharmacist, Dan Schneider. Welcome aboard, bud.
2: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be a, a part of the pain pod now. Okay. I, that's a pretty fitting name. Uh, unfortunately, uh, pain, uh, although it's very real, uh, the, the treatment of pain over the past 20 years has led uh, America down the wrong path, uh, 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 and, uh, many times people, they over, now, now, don't get me wrong. If I have severe pain, I know, I know we need help. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people can't tolerate any pain. And, uh, uh so the public was kind of shut up for companies to come along and take advantage uh, of the public. And, and we all know without getting into great detail early on about this, but Purdue Pharma was the, uh, the origin of this you might say they took advantage of it marketing laws and supposedly they had the, the cure-all and why have any pain whatsoever it's not addictive and here we are now and i'm glad you gave me some of those numbers because i'm pretty well versed in numbers but i didn't have the seven minutes uh uh you know and that's you know i, I usually talk about 300 funerals a day uh, which probably equals out to that seven minutes. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. give or take something. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then 100,000, we had 100,000 alcohol deaths. I, I wasn't aware of that, but I knew it was high. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the kind of good news about the alcohol deaths is sometimes it takes me 20, 30, 40 years to die from alcohol-related deaths. Uh, and yet we're losing 100,000 right now. It's pushing 100,000 right now in in overdose or drug-related deaths, and and they die in short term, uh, you know, and they preventable deaths. So, well, uh, it's very fitting what you brought up, and uh, again, I'm glad to be a part of this, and I know everybody's going to hear parts of my story, so you can lead me into whatever you want to lead me into, and I got a few messages I want to share also along the way. And we want to hear
0: them, Dan. The, the, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. What I'd like to ask anyone and everyone on on the pain pod, and quite frankly, in life, our patients, whoever. But what's your story? Let, let us let us uh, let us into your story. Let let let's hear your background and story.
2: Well, you're going to get a, a, a short version because it's Jesus. We it would take days to tell you the whole story. <laughs> uh, Netflix squeezed it into four hours. Uh, did a good job, uh, but there's so much that's not there. In fact, we're trying to create, or we are creating right now, a podcast with a group called The Ranch uh, down from my hometown, St. Bernard Paris, Louisiana, and it's going to be the untold stories. And you know, now that I look at it, there's so much more untold stories than told stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, uh, that's how that's how that's worked. But my story began basically is you know I'm I'm a, a working pharmacist. I'm uh, making a decent living for my family. Uh, things are going good for us. We, uh, are two kids, uh, nice house, nice cars. Uh, a lot of people joke and call us the Griswolds because we got a tourist station wagon. We got a house that has 17 foot ceilings and we put a 17 foot Christmas tree up every year. Uh, we did a lot of traveling and vacation where the kids fight with us. And you know, the, the typical family type of thing. They don't want to hear your music. Uh, they don't want to stop and read the historic stuff. They can't wait to get to the hotel and hit the pool. Uh, all the stuff you're trying to teach them and show them, they only halfway paying attention. And a lot of that is comical and whatnot, but we had a great life. And, uh, you know, uh, all of a sudden, April 14th, 1999, at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, there's a loud knock on my door. And uh, we startled awake, what's going on? And we go there, and there's two policemen. And they asked if they can come in, and I said, yes, and we just, we're not understanding what's going on here, okay? And uh, they asked us to sit down, and uh, I think my wife sat, I still stood, and this is what I think I heard them say, your son has been shot. And uh, uh, I said, what hospital is he in? And they said, no, he's dead. And... uh, I, 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 I. Upon recall now and kind of revisiting that, I, I think they said he was dead to begin with. But I just that didn't register. You know, it, this is too quick. I mean, and I, how could I, it you know, really? I should have been able to see him in a hospital. You know, uh, and uh, and we really didn't, didn't comprehend what's going on. And my wife, naturally, she's screaming, "No!" Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's in his room, which is where we really thought he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's still living with us. He's in his room. His sister runs from her, her room to his room and looks in, and she cries downstairs because I was upstairs. She cries downstairs, no, mommy's not in his room. And the reality started hitting us that, that it might be, he might actually be dead. Uh, and uh I mean the emotions are just uh, uh, crazy, you know. E- early that night he came to our room at around. Uh, I think around 1030-ish, and said he was going out to my friend's house to, to get some notes to study for a test that he had in school the next day. The boy was working part-time delivering pizzas. In the summer, he would work construction jobs. He had a steady girlfriend uh, that uh, went to Southern Miss, uh, uh, very uh, articulate, and she got a scholarship there for dance and whatnot. They were almost engaged. I mean, everything was going pretty well. Now, he was, his grades hadn't done so well, so he was like in a community college, but he was doing okay in school and making progress and uh, told us he went out for notes. And, you know, we 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 thought that was the case. So when we heard the knock on the go, door, we just, did, we couldn't comprehend. And then to hear that he had been up in a dangerous area attempting to buy a serious drug just blew us away because the only experience with Danny with drugs was that he smoked, smoked pot before, okay? And not that that's a little thing, okay? But, but you know, I, I kind of always tried to discourage him. We even punished him at times, and we did everything we could do to try to reduce the, the pot smoking and whatnot, okay? But there was a part of me that said, you know, and I even had told him at one time, Dan, Dan you know, just, just, just make sure you never go beyond this. And, and uh, well, of course, he said, no, Dad, I, I never would, you know? And, which is pretty much what they all would say. Uh, but all of a sudden now, he gets shot attempting to buy crack cocaine. And he's in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods that he could possibly be in. It just was overwhelming. I personally, at that time, was like most people. I had a, a stigma that I, I looked down upon drug users, uh, down upon addicts. I, I I thought, you know, why don't they just get their shit together and uh, uh, straighten up and... Uh, even though I was a pharmacist now for a long time, I I really didn't have a grasp on what addiction was, uh, or and, and how much of it was really maybe a disease as, as compared to a, a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought there was some moral inclination that people that wasn't quite uh, high morals, okay, and yet all that contradicted my son. You couldn't have got a more, more peace-loving kid, peace-nick type of kid, uh, moralistic type of kid. He was against the death penalty. He was, you know, uh, you know, uh, he never had a detention in school, never had a fight with his friends. He would always bring people together. He was the unifier. And all of a sudden he's dead. And then the next part of the chapter is now, so we, we're really shaken up. But, you know, I still, it took a couple of days for it to settle in, okay? And we had a funeral that we had to go through and all this kind of stuff. But then I started realizing there's a killer on the street. My son's a drug user. I now know that, okay? And it was a serious drug user, but but, but he's not a killer, okay? And in fact, now we, we talk, me and my advocacy now, we talk more about trying to decriminalize as much as we can to some version of it at least, okay? Uh, users, users, pretty much, we now know that they might start by choice, maybe, some of them don't even start by choice. They, their brains change and it becomes a disease. Okay, And so you, you shouldn't necessarily be putting people with disease in jail for treatment. Okay. You put them in a hospital or care. I, I know it's a lot, you're right. It, it's a lot more complicated than that. Okay? But, but I realized rather quickly now that my thought process about addiction and who gets addicted and how, who it can affect started changing. And I'm a little embarrassed about that now because it took my son's death for me to wake up and I do everything in my power now to, to unfortunately, there's a lot of people now that have went through what I went through and are still going through it every day. Okay, But my, one of my jobs is to try to get the people that it hasn't happened to yet to wake up before it happens, to, to get them that sense of, of what, what can occur. And, and we're making progress on that, but the stigma's there. Yep. well... I go to the police now to try to solve my son's murder, and they start treating my son like a criminal. Uh, In other words, really, they almost almost put him in the same box as they put the killer. I could tell right away that they weren't going to work very hard on trying to solve this murder. Another drug deal going bad, kid probably got what he deserved, uh, you know, stinking thinking, okay? Yep. Uh, and uh but it's their job and they they shouldn't be like that. Okay. And not all cops are bad. And uh and that I think that's even changed a little bit. This was twenty-two years ago now. Uh there was a lot more stinking thinking then than it is now, even though they're still stinking thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so any, any event, I uh, quickly realized that they weren't, and, and it would be a long story to tell you all the ifs, bunch, and ands, but uh I could come to the realization that this case was gonna get solved. It was up to me, okay, mm-hmm. and and I felt my son had died a snapshot of the worst moment in his life, and that he deserved some some justice. And I started thinking about somebody killed him. That person's a killer, probably. That person may kill again. So I'm not going to say there wasn't a pinch of revenge in there. I'd be uh, uh, not totally honest. But mm-hmm. honestly, I started thinking about I got to get this killer off the street because I was prejudiced about my son, I was saying, anybody could kill my son, could kill anybody.
0: Yeah. and that's uh, that's a very big thing to bring up of, of helping others and, and moving on. And the, um, you know, one of the things you said, Dan, was the, you know, not, not uh, I forget how you articulated it, but the not being proud of perhaps how your thinking was in the past. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we all, pharmacists, healthcare professionals, quite frankly, anyone in society, could be thinking about that of the, you know, we, we are, our past makes us part of our story, all of us, but really the future is is what matters. And, you know, I'm not saying that in a campfire discussion sense or anything, but, you know, I, I could even say uh, nothing similar there. I'm not a fan of people saying being in the same shoes. They're all different companies, different sizes, quite frankly, but, you know, sooner or later, the light bulb goes off for many people. Um, a light bulb moment for myself even was at the APHA Institute on, on what is now substance use disorder overall. Uh, when I came back from that institute, to the um, one of the years, my wife actually looked at me literally upon like coming back home, and and heard me, you know, pontificating about subtle things that I learned, and she just said, you know, you're a better person for having gone there. Now I I develop and present a ton of CE every given year. And um, my gosh, if somebody could say that about something I did, I thought, whoa, that's a win, let alone CE credit. I mean, we gotta do it by law, right? But like the things that you can get from uh, certain discussions and uh, whether it's CE, whether it's uh, something like conversation here today and whatnot, is just so impactful. and i really appreciate you very transparently sharing your story the 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 ins and outs I, I know every a lot of it's on netflix but you know not everything like you alluded to right. um how it, you know it, how did netflix happen for you like like where does that come from <laughs> um i'm sure there's many uh, perhaps even
2: yourself think where i mean how does netflix call somebody how did, how did that happen many people <laughs> have seen the show so i'm sort of telling my story but most of your the audience, they've seen it, so I, I guess it's a little redundant. I will close off that chapter real quickly before I answer your question, though. Okay. And that is okay. I had to go out and beat the bushes, and what made it a great story. I'm crazy. I'm, I'm half crazy. I'm in dangerous areas. I could be killed, but you know, I keep pursuing it, keep pursuing it, keep pursuing it. And then God kind of steps in, and I had made a bargain with God. I said, Look, God, if you help me get my son's killer off the street, and no innocents get hurt. I will go on a mission for you. And i would already been thinking about what can I do to teach parents? What can I teach students, students? Okay. So I made this bargain and I'm almost ready to give up. There's a bunch of times I'm almost ready to give up. Okay. And I made this bargain and all of a sudden now I run into a witness. And this and this and, 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 and to find a witness in that neighborhood, that's a black young lady that's got four kids. Her life is being threatened. Her kid's life is being threatened. She has babysat the killer. Okay, she's best friends with the killer's mother. Now to get her to testify is like, how does that happen? Okay. I, I don't even know how it happens. I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So the long story short, we do solve the case. We get some measure of justice. Uh, and, and then I'm now I'm on a mission, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and the next part of the chapter is, hey, my mission is to teach kids, but guess what, okay? God must have another plan here because, and I am always trying to teach kids and I'm going to talk in schools, but in my drugstore, walking in every day, is the Oxycontin opioid epidemic appearing before my eyes. Prior to my son's death, though, I don't think I would have realized that. It, 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 I'd have been turning my head like everybody else and not understanding what's going on and not caring what's going on. It's not my business. It's somebody else's problem, okay? This is a big company. They must know what they do. doing. I, you know, all the other crazy things that you do to kind of just get by. Well, I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, these kids that was coming in reminded me of my son. These kids are going down a path, okay, and they being led down that path, misled down that path. So again, long story short, I shut the doc down and do a whole bunch of other things. So we'll go on now to your, your question, but I'd say anybody who hasn't seen the show, do it and you'll get a lot more detail about the SAG. I worked for 22 years at this, okay? And was pretty much like most people, I was, I hate to speak of myself as a hero, but if I saw somebody do what I did, I would call them a hero, okay? And, and Agreed. <laughs> so I, I kind of got a, 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 but you know what I want to point out is, up until that show actually came out and we're gonna talk about how that happened, okay? I was an unsung hero and we have many unsung heroes out there. And sometimes I have almost a guilt complex of, you know, why, why am I getting to be the hero, okay? There's other people that have done what I've done, maybe more than what I've done, okay? Not to take away from what I've done, I understand that, okay? But I do feel like I've been blessed. And part of my mission there is God wants me to go further, and He gives me this platform, and people listen to me now, and maybe I can make a bigger difference. Now on to the story of how this happened, okay? A lot of people thought too that i wasn't I wasn't a quitter, and and I, I guess really I, I never was a quitter, but you don't know how many times during the course of my struggles that I was just about ready to quit. And God kind of came in or or whatnot, and I found some renewed strength. I got a break. Okay, Well, by the time I get to be 65 years of age, my daughter's like a late bloomer okay, because she got messed up with my son's death and really never quite has never gotten back 100% where she should be. So she's a late bloomer, and she finally meets a guy, and they have a baby and have a grandbaby. I'm 65 years of age. This is five years ago. My wife comes to me and she's came to me a bunch of times. She said, you know, when I was walking the streets in that dangerous area looking for my son's killer, uh, not just her, but a lot of her friends were saying, You got to stop me from doing that because he's going to get killed. And then you're not, you don't not have your son, you don't have your husband. And, and, and hats off to her because I don't blame her for trying to discourage me, but she never gave up on me either. And most of the time she was in my corner. Okay. Uh, it was really outside influences that try to push her lots of times, and I'd have to resell on the importance of the thing. And so, so, in any event, at 65, though, she finally comes to me, and she says, look, you're 65 years of age. You've done some good work. You're kind of spinning your wheels right now, you know, uh, and 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 we got a grandbaby, okay, and, you know, and you're getting up in age. Some of my friends were, were dying and and, you know, getting older and whatnot, you know you got to retire. And I don't mean just retire from a prescription comma. you got to retire from advocacy. So she finally convinces me. I finally say, you know, she's right. You know, I've done about probably as much as I can do. You know, lots of times people aren't really listening to me anymore. Okay, I don't have a big platform or anything. And so I retire. And for about two years, I do almost nothing. I cheat every now and then. Take a look at an article, or send in a editorial, or, or I do something. But I'm, but I am, and I even think about writing a book, which I've done on and off over the years. But and I even had tried a couple of times, but I really just couldn't. I couldn't go through with it. It was too emotional. I uh, I didn't know how to tell a story. My wife, by the way, I, I always kept all my notes and all my tapes and and all this kind of stuff, which is used a, a great deal and made the story really special uh um she suggested we throw them away <laughs> Let, let's let's leave that chapter behind i said well wait a 2nd i'll put it in a box in the attic or i'll put it <laughs> in a closet i won't look at it but i ain't throwing it away <laughs> well, thank god uh, and she was okay with that okay and so we didn't throw it away so about two years i'm finally totally retired and, and not talking about drugs every day and all this other kind of stuff big relief from my family and I get a phone call and this guy's named Jed Lipinski and he says look I'm a reporter now a new reporter at the Thomas Picayune newspaper which is the New Orleans area newspaper okay and I'm I'm, I'm I'm doing a story on the origins of the opioid epidemic and plenty of people have wound up telling me that I got to speak to you and and, and you know I don't hear well, so I usually have my phone on speakerphone, almost mm-hmm. always, okay? And so my wife is, and we're close, we're almost always inseparable, okay? Mm-hmm. She hears this, and she's in the background going, no, no, <laughs> no. you're going to get sucked back into this thing, okay? She, she finally has me for like two years, okay? And she's got my attention, now you're going to get sucked into this thing, so basically, I almost tell the guy, no. I said, uh, and, and so, you know, we we kind of prey on it. And I, again, I resell her. I said, well, you know what? It looks like I'm never going to really write this book. I said, at least part of the story can get out, And maybe to do some good. And 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 then maybe I could bury the hatchet and give up on trying to write this book. And she's okay, okay. And, and, and by the way, I'm not going to get sucked back into this thing.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so in any event, in the story with Jed is another thing that's a godsend almost. Jed lives in New York, in the New York area. He gets a job opportunity in New Orleans, and it's an advancement. So they fly him back down. He moves his family down to New Orleans, and his first assignment is the opioid epidemic, the origins of opioid epidemic. And this is what now, about three years ago, I guess. I've been, now I'm about 67 or, or 68, whatever. And so they, they say, look, there's a big convention taking place in New York, so we're going to fly you back to New York. And you go to this convention and you can kind of study. They're talking about the opioid crisis and the opioid epidemic and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Maybe you'll get some ideas. So he goes there and he happens to read an article in Tom Magazine that was published back in the year 2000 or 2001, I believe it was, Okay, where St. Bernard Parish, which is a suburb of New Orleans, which is where I'm, I'm from, uh, was one of the three hotspots in the country for Oxycontin deaths back in the year 2001. Mm-hmm. So he says, my God, it's right in my backyard. So he goes back to New Orleans, okay? And he says, when I remember, I might have the story right here.
0: Literally. That's-
2: <laughs> okay, so, so he goes down to St. Bernard Parish. I no longer live there now. I'm, I'm, I moved to higher ground after Katrina. Now I still have connections there because for years later I worked in advocacy up to about three years before I was working in Saint Bernard in advocacy. Okay? Now I'm totally retired, but he goes down there and he and he goes meets with the government, he meets with the sheriff's department, okay, and they all say you got to talk to Dan Snyder. Well, who's Dan Snyder? He's a pharmacist, okay, <laughs> and so so uh, and then they say. I mean, and also, he helped put him out of business, the doctor out of business in, uh, with the medical board. So, sure enough, he goes to the medical board to get the story. And they say, you got to talk to Dan Snyder. <laughs> so now, I get that phone call, and he wants to interview Dan Snyder. Yep. Now, we, we wound up getting together. There's a connection. There's, it's kind of a magical thing. And, uh, you know, it takes about a year to get the story to come out it finally comes up. The guy does a great job it's an eight-page leaflet it's uh, you can go to noah.com the, the article is called justice for Danny." that was the title of the article okay and it's kind of a written story of the pharmacist that's on on netflix and then some things are in there that aren't in netflix Cause course there's certain things in the netflix that aren't in there okay but the guy does an incredible job i get accolades from all over the place I'm still not thinking that I'm going to get sucked back into advocacy at this stage. Uh, But it it is big. Now, all of a sudden, I start getting phone calls from California and from New York and from uh, about three or four or five different places. They think they want to take this story further. They want to either make a documentary out of it or maybe even a movie. Whoa, you know, a long time ago, I thought this thing ought to be a movie. Okay, I thought I was living in a movie, kind of a nightmare, but uh, I thought I was living in a movie. And so, uh, a group in New York, okay, they do a lot thing. I don't know who to choose. I don't know. Uh, um, I'm, you know, I got, I got to talk to entertainment attorneys and all this other kind of crap, you know. And so, uh, this group in New York actually hires this guy, Jed Lipinski, and says, Look, we want the story. We'll hire you, and you can kind of be the editorial content of this thing, okay? So, they hired a guy that wrote the original story. And he talks me into signing with the group in New York, and I do it. The group is called Cinemart, C-I-N-E-M-A-R-T. They put together a scissor reel. They invest about a hundred thousand from my guy, and they build a scissor reel We got a lot of filming. All to make about a nine-minute movie, okay, out of this, and then they they present it to Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and and see if somebody's interested in. in mm-hmm. Really financing the big production and and, and showing this thing, on Netflix buys it, and uh, and then now then the next wave happens. Okay, the, the next wave happens is this this thing gets big. Okay, and 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 it, it a couple of months in, there was like forty million viewers had viewed this thing. Okay, and and now and now I'm told it's over hundred million. Uh, views well uh, what okay? And needless crazy needless
0: thing. to say, that escalated quickly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, well, then the next crazy thing that happens, and this leads to advocacy, I'm still not necessarily thinking that this is going to lead to advocacy yet, okay? Maybe in the back of my mind I am, okay, but but not really. Well, a couple nights after the, the docuseries break, I'm laying in bed with the wife and I get a phone call. And there's this lady on the phone and she goes, Dan, this thing is incredible. She said, you know, my husband works in New York and they're talking about in New York. And I got some friends in California. They called me up. Do you know this guy? Okay. And I'm thinking, I myself, who is this? I, you know, I, I, she says, Dan, I'm Suzette, your attorney. She was my <laughs> entertainment attorney. Okay. Now, in Afghanistan, that's been about a year since I've talked to her. And I only had like four hours with her. Okay. I didn't know who to get. I choose her, and 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 now, and she knows me better than I know her. Okay, and she's raving about this thing, and then all of a sudden she says something really, really poignant. She says, "But then I'm not just talking about how great this is. I got something better." What's that? She said, "I just signed Miss America." I said, "So?" She said, "She's a pharmacy student. She got the same platform as you." Now. We're going to talk about these strange things that happen and where God fits in or whatnot, okay? But Miss America wants to try to reduce overdose deaths. And now Miss America is being handled by the same attorney. Now, Miss America actually grew up in Pennsylvania. Her mama lined up the attorney for her for Miss America. She chose the attorney in New Orleans. Now, how does it happen that we get the same attorney? Well, needless to say, she also says, and I've already spoke, she wants to get together with you. And all of a sudden now, this unsung hero that nobody knows anything about, okay, Miss America wants to get together with me, and we're going to try to solve this problem. Jesus, you know, i got a platform now, Jesus. Next day, or days later, I get a phone call. It's from like a secretary. This really don't happen to me. This is... This is Jane Doe, such and such. And uh, I, uh, Mr. Botticelli would like to speak to you about your, your doctor series. That
0: That's name something. rings a bell. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it did ring a bell to me. I, I'm saying, well, okay, okay. And, and while I'm on hold now, I'm thinking, Michael Bocicelli? Who the hell is Michael you know, And I, I kind of jokingly say, I really thought about an opera singer. You know, like an like, you know, opera singer? <laughs> But this guy gets on the phone now, and he says, Dan, he says, man, I saw your show. It's fantastic. I got to get together. We got to pick each other's brains, man. You know, maybe you know, we can make maybe something happen. I'm, I'm so excited about this. And it's the same thing. I I, I kind of say, on me, I'm, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Obama's former drug officer." <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, I realize Jesus, you know, for 20 years now, I've been trying to get attention from people. And to try to talk to those kind of people, I would have never got the first place. So now I'm looking at the wife and I'm saying, babe, you know, I, worked, I beat my head against the wall for 20 years, okay? And I, I did a few big things I, that there wouldn't have been a show for this. But, I mean, Jesus, now i got people that want to talk to me. <laughs> i yeah. got doors that are open and never had before maybe I can make a real difference. And then I get people sending comments and saying, you've got to come forward and lead this thing. And, uh, you know, we need more people like you, and you've done such a great job, and don't quit. Needless to say, I get sucked back in. And I've been sucked back (laughs) in more and more ever since. And so, uh, Jed Lipinski wrote the story. It was fate that this guy comes down from... Everything was some kind of a fate thing, okay? And... And the only thing, again, I mentioned this earlier, okay? It is a little bit intimidating uh, in the fact that I now know many other people that have been unsung heroes. And they haven't gone into the same thing, but I know their histories now. And I almost feel sometimes a little guilty that I'm the fortunate one now that is the face of this thing, okay? But I have a responsibility now.
0: Uh, oh, you, play. you bring up, uh, I believe it's the Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility.
2: Amen. Amen. <laughs> and my wife was afraid of that, but you know, I, I'm 70 now. I had a couple of years, uh, that I tried to play golf and wasn't that good at it, you know? And, and, and now it's a passion. I actually enjoy doing this crazy stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I will say this, there's a little ego in it in that, you know, people want to take pictures with me and they want to on autographs and but they just really want to listen to me and and like as if and i never had that before i mean i had to beat doors down to and beg people to listen to me okay and so i'm gonna do whatever i can do and i'm glad to be part of what you're talking about but that's the story how it came to be and now it's progressed where the the producer of uh uh, hacksaw ridge which was uh uh, and i think it might have been mel gibson directed that or something okay and uh uh, he now is going to do the pharmacist movie and, awesome. uh, uh, you know, and it's crazy. They talking about maybe Brad Pitt might play the part. And, uh, I mean, how in the hell did this happen? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you know, guy from St. Bernard, we've got a crazy voice and kind of a little bit screwball-y and whatnot. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden now I'm at, I'm in this place uh, we, just this past week, we went to Richmond and we did a fundraiser together with Miss America. And we, uh I, I, I know you
0: guys, did, you did enjoy some crawfish, right?
2: Yes, I brought crawfish.
0: I thought you mentioned bringing them up. I, I, I brought, recommended brought a Yeti or whatever.
2: We got a big crawfish party. <laughs> the only thing I didn't do that I probably would be done is we I brought up too much crawfish, and it's only because we didn't really <laughs> promote a big crowd. And so the next time I do it, we're going to try to plan a party, but we. I didn't bring enough for this big party and they already had all that, that game plan. So I didn't want to mess with that, with that show. But, uh,
0: well, well, don't uh, be too, exciting. don't be too hard on yourself there, Dan. The, the, you know, it sounds like I may have asked the, one of the biggest and toughest questions ever for you there too. The, you know, what, what we're all hearing our, our pain pod audience and everything is 20 years and more of sweat and, and tears along the way too, of so much work to, to make it happen. And, you know, it really brings up that proverbial idea, though, of um, if you build it, they they will come. Uh, You know, Netflix didn't fall on your lap. Neither did Jed. No, you put your family, you and your wife alone even put so much into it and that's how it happens really I, um
2: you know I, I, I know that now but it yeah. still shocks you when it when it when it actually
0: you mentioned uh, earlier and i don't i i don't want to pull anything short here of any movies or other podcasts or whatever but uh, you know that and when we chatted earlier previously too i think you mentioned a couple times of the you know obviously everything's not in the netflix documentary um any one or two things you'd want our, our audience to hear of um you know something that wasn't in there other than the decades of sweat and tears and everything that you put into it,
2: it it'll be a personal note uh, there's another reason why i fought really hard uh to find my son's killer and maybe continue on in advocacy okay i uh, uh th- th- there was about a week or two before my son died okay we had a few signs okay and, and i might understand those signs better now than i did then but we had a couple of times that something was going on. Now, naively, I even thought maybe it might be drug, but I thought maybe the kid started smoking pot again, because for a while, I think he had given it up, okay? Uh, but, you know, he locked his keys in the truck once or twice, and even more important than that, this kid seemingly almost never lied to me, and I caught him in a lie. Uh, he was supposed to go to work at Pizza Hut, I believe, one night, and he didn't go in, and he said, no, no, I had the night off, okay? Uh, and some kind of way accidentally or on purpose the next day i talked to his boss he either called what happened to danny why wasn't he here and so i caught him in a lie and so i started saying something going on with this kid so a couple of days and i don't have the exact time frame here but it's within a week a couple of days before he dies i go up to his room and uh, i said danny i said something going on i said uh let me know what's going on. And he goes, well, no, nothing really, Dad. And I said, I said Danny, are you doing drugs again? Okay. And he said, no, Dad, I'm not. And I said, you're not going to have you drug tested." he said, yeah, Dad, go ahead. Okay. Which probably, I don't know whether I caught him with the drugs or not, but whatever. Okay. But, you know, then he says something to me. He says, no, Dad, he said, the truth is I'm depressed. And that, again, at the time, just me. But it also relieved me because the the stigma of the drug use, okay, I I could handle the depression more than I could handle the fact that I got a drug problem, at least at that stage in my learned position, okay. Well, it just so happens, too, that shortly, about a couple of weeks before that, we had uh, had an aunt that had a next-door neighbor that committed suicide. So I immediately said, son, I said, you're not suicidal, are you? And this is a gift he gave us a few days before. There's a lot of things that happened here that seem to be gifts. He says, no, dad. He says, look, I got great parents. I got a great girlfriend. I got a great life. I'm just, I'm kind of right now. I don't know what I want to be. I don't, they're choosing my profession and I'm, not satisfied with myself. I'm not quite doing as well in school as I was. Now, we now know in the background he had all this other shit going on. Okay, but he's mm-hmm. telling me this, and again I said, "Well, look, son, if you need," it, uh, I said, "Look, I go to work in about three or four days." Okay, which is really I was supposed to go to work the morning he got shot. I was supposed to go to work that day, and and, and I'll get you uh, an antidepressant. I was going to put him on Prozac, and I, and I and I'll get your sleep aid. I said in the meantime. If you want, I said, uh, drink a beer and maybe take a Benadryl and that'll help you sleep at night. And I also did something else. I had a kind of fallbilly talk to him. I said, look, I said, Dan, maybe you putting too much pressure on yourself. I said, uh, you know, you want to be an architect. OK, and you're shooting pretty high. And I said, that's great. Okay? But, you know, why don't you just be a draftsman? I've seen some of your draftsman work and whatnot, and you've got a little talent for that. Why don't you shoot for that? Get that accomplished. And then if you can go further, go further. And, and, I, and I also told him something like, I said, look, you know, don't get caught up And I want to be better than my dad. i make more money than my dad did, okay? You know, you could be a beer, beer, beer truck driver. You could be a mailman, okay? As long as you live a good life and, and you're productive, mom and dad are proud as hell to you. Now, in hindsight now, how do you get better moments than that shortly before your son's death, And he says, I got a great mom and dad. You don't know how much that helped along the way because you have some doubts
0: i i, I can't even imagine it and um i, I didn't know that part then and you know as a parent, what more could you ask for in normality, in normality and regular lifetime um you know uh, dr Gretchen girlfriendfle and myself we've we've got five year old Luke um soon to be and, and it's if you could hear that from your kid at any time, oh my gosh, that that that's everything along the way. The, and, and you know what you're what you're talking to here, talking about here is really bringing up this, um, you know, kind of segueing into the pain management side of things here, of course, on the pain pod. But, right. you know, these are things that come up in uh, various, um, you know, interactions with our patients, eh, family, friends, and everybody else too. Of the, you know, hearing people's their why, their story, what's going on, whether it's wrist screens or whatever. And, you know, pain itself is, a, whew, um, technically, it was just redefined on the international level. And, you know, textbooks, websites, they're great now. But you you, and your wife, your whole family have been through a lot. Um, so I, I hope this isn't a, a too provoking of a question. But I, I hope to ask everyone this on the pain pod. But how would you define pain?
2: Wow. Well, there's mental pain. Then there's mm-hmm. physical pain. And much, as I say, much of this addiction, okay, sometimes don't even start with real pain. But if it does start with real pain, it becomes physical, uh, mental pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, but, you know, opioids can kind of mask pain. Okay. And so uh, I know one thing, we as a society have to learn that there is some pain we have to live with. And we have to invest more into pain relievers that don't have so many side effects, and 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 maybe less addictive situations. Because although in certain instances opioids can be the right choice, and and, and you're bringing this up, uh, it's time for me to entertain this little story. I get some uh, uh, my teeth ain't so good. By the way, I'm going to eventually get them fixed now. You know because I'm a big <laughs> celebrity by now. Uh, <laughs> but I, I had like to have uh, some, some dental work, just as just maybe uh, six months ago, maybe six months after the docuseries breaks. So and I'm here with the dentist, and he's got to do like a root canal and a lot of work. And said, so you know, it's going to cross some pain. And uh, and he says, and i tell you what, he says, I'm afraid to prescribe you an opiate <laughs> You're pharmacist, you know? <laughs> are you going to come after me? <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. You better give me an opiate, okay? Okay, as long as you give me maybe two-day supply or three-day supply, mm-hmm. I'm fine with Vicodin, okay? All right? So uh, uh, it has its place on a short-term basis. Uh, I may not have the predisposition in a sense, but usually people are safe. They use it short-term. and the life, uh, uh, if, if if I'm dying with cancer at some time in my life, uh, probably the first thing I'll ask for is OxyContin. Crazy. Okay. But, you know, when when addiction isn't an issue anymore and we, when, when you don't have, when the, when the benefit outweighs the risk involved, uh, there is a place. But it's much more minuscule. What, what happened with Purdue is they took people with minor aches and pains, okay, and, and vulnerable and told them this wasn't addictive. And, of course, it's going to make them feel a little bit down uh, the analgesic part of this thing is going to make them feel feel better, and we now know where that led us. So, uh, 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 I myself most of the time get by with a leave, okay. But if I but if I get some real short term pain that I need some help from, fun. And if I'm dying at some point in time and I got some severe pain, I'm okay with the opioids, then If we don't, unless we can come up with something better. Dan,
0: you bring up a a very, it's quite frankly, a very hot topic within pain management is, you know, the acute care side of things. Um, Countless guidelines concentrate on the chronic utilization of all pain management medicines, but especially prescription opioids. But um, I, and I've said this in, in many, many different talks there, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, stuff hits the fan and what do you do? Um, uh, perhaps on another podcast, I'll pontificate of my uh, COVID kidney stone I had. That, that That's a heck of a journey. So um, that's for another time, though. But, you know, you and I have both been there and many others, um, if not everyone, have been there when 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 pain happens, even acutely short term and whatnot. And, you know, there's research out there that shows that there's a greater likelihood of chronic prescription opioid utilization based on the initial day supply of a prescription. And, and you know, there, there's, um, studies are amazing. It, it's hard to have qualms with things, but uh, I would say of note, uh, saying a greater chance of chronic utilization is not saying greater chance of addiction, substance use disorder or opioid use disorder. There's a difference there, a pretty big yes. one too. Yes. Um, I, I really appreciate your thoughts there on that, that, you know, initial utilization there too. Uh, going bigger picture, you know, um, we we as healthcare professionals, you know, we're we're uh, hey sometimes we're the pa- we're a patient. You're the pharmacist, and you were just told us about how when you were a patient. <laughs> uh, but you know, there, there's conflicting studies that are out there. Uh, many say that, uh, and headlines galore come from one of the studies of uh, saying that 75% of heroin utilizers began with prescription opioids. But what did they not say? You know what, what's the old Jack Nicholson thing: the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Can you handle it? All that great stuff from the movies. Sure. Um, hey, you're about to be a movie star, so we could say those things. So, <laughs> um, but but where where to get them from? That's where. And today, even in 2021, there's studies that are just released within the last month, even that are saying, uh, you know, the the age old story of well, two thirds of the time, it's actually the sources outside of the typical healthcare chain. Um, are we as as pharmacists, as healthcare professionals, still involved indirectly? Yeah, going over storage and disposal of medicines a very big thing. Um, you know where we we can help people, just as you and your your entire family have really looked to do for so many years now. Um, I I, uh, I think you called me out on, on that last question being a tough one. So well, here's a here's perhaps another one. Um, building off what you said earlier, actually, but uh, there, there's a lot of dialogue within our society in respect to the opioid crisis and whatever other title anyone wants to use. Uh, there's a lot of positive movements. Um, what what would you say are some of the remaining answers or solutions? Yeah, how, how do we get ourselves out of this? Can we get ourselves out of this? What, what's your thoughts, Dan?
2: I, uh, uh, number one, I'm an optimist. I do believe we can get ourselves out of it. It's not gonna happen overnight. But I'm glad you brought this up because uh, but this has led me to, I'll say one more thing about my son. Shortly after, we had another follow-up meeting, and he said, Dad, you know, that I like that discussion we had, and I want to let you know, Dad, I'm going to go ahead and be a draftsman, and maybe I'll shoot high after that. But I also, I'm a, I'm a writer, Dad, and I kind of knew that, and great poetry and whatnot, and he said, I'm going to do that part-time. He said, I don't know if that I'm lead to anything that I can make a living at. And the other thing I like to do is discourage kids from doing drugs. Wow. And, and again, now in hindsight, you know, that's a me at the time. I said, this kid finally gets it. The truth is, he had an internal struggle going on that he could not admit to me. So uh, I, I, now, when I talk with parents and whatnot, you know, you got to find a way to open up to, with your kids uh, and, and let them know that at the end of the world, if they got something bad to tell you. Okay. I think I had done that pretty decently but you know stigma being what it was back then he was he, he, he didn't want to admit that he had that kind of a problem and he like most kids thought he could solve it himself. But back to what we can do today okay. So I, right now part of my mission now is uh, and I fulfilled the thing because God helped me solve my son's murder okay but I got my son hauntingly and he's, he's, he's in the back of me right there always in the background. He heartily is saying, they do things to discourage kids from doing drugs." And one of the hot items right now is something that I, when I made my trip to Richmond, I went around the country, and I've been on many programs now. And I stopped at about three or four uh, school facilities, uh, a couple of high schools, and one administrative position. And it was pretty much, uh, "Please be on alert and aware that there are fake prescription pills such as Xanax, Percocet, Nardaral on the street." Uh, and they're available through social media. These fake pills contain deadly amounts of the very potent opioid called fentanyl. One pill can kill. Fentanyl can also release ecstasy, marijuana, and methamphetamine, almost any drug. Never take anything unless it's prescribed by a doctor and gotten from a pharmacy. In the past, experimenting with these things was wrong, but not usually deadly. Now this illicit fentanyl is in almost anything, not from a pharmacy, and it's killing students. That's one message that I, I, I want to convey. I also want to say this, that I, I have realized that to make change, you got to get through to the politicians, to the leaders. I wish it wasn't the case because most of those guys, they get pushed around by people that donate to them and outside interest, okay? So what I've tried to create is something called the Pharmacist People's Lobby. It's a big registry of people signing on, okay? And the purpose of those people is just to be on this registry. I will have some active volunteers, but most people won't stand by. And when I go to speak before Congress, which now I have the privilege that I can usually get to do that, okay? But I know one thing, if I go speak there, and they're going to go, well, that's a, that's a great guy, you know, and he lost his son, and, uh, you know, he's got some great ideas. But when I leave, they get taken to dinner by Purdue Pharma. Or insurance lobbyists, okay? And they also they agree on how much money they're gonna to give to their campaign, okay? And so they usually win that battle, okay? It's a shame to say it, okay? But if I, as a pharmacist, can sit there and say, look, you know, I just told you my story, my position, okay? But it's not my position. I got a million people signed up on a registry behind me, okay? And let me just tell you, okay, a lot of them have lost kids, but a lot of them are just concerned parents, my kid might be next. And I can tell you one thing that if we don't get what we want, or some of what we want, and we don't get some changes and we don't get the resources necessary to combat this problem, okay, you're gonna get tens of thousands of emails. Some of these people will go to media and they're gonna allow the media, and you just might get shamed. And this might affect your election or your re-election. Okay. And I find that I hate to say it, but you know, if you don't get tough and and, and stick up your neck out a little bit, okay, uh they don't really listen, but if they think it could affect their election, they might. So there's a couple things. Number one, I have a website it's called Tunnel of Hope, okay, TunnelofHope.org. And again, if you see the trees behind me, and I, I'm going to have video here, but and, but I have a group of trees that I would drive through to work every day, and it formed like a tunnel. And I would go through there and pray, help me solve my son's murder, help me shut this doctor down, help me. Do something to reduce the overdose deaths. And I would pray through that. And I always pictured that as being the light at the end of the tunnel. So I named my nonprofit, light like, uh, the tunnel of hope.org. You go in there and you become part of this big registry, and I will be your voice. I also have a Facebook supporters group. It's called Supporters of the Pharmacist Dan Schneider. I also now have a lady that's working with me on TikTok. And that's Dan underscore Schneider underscore pharmacist. TikTok, okay. I also have Twitter. I also have Instagram. So I have many, many things right now. And I'm building this organization because I want to be able to make a difference. And let me tell you what I think where the real answer perhaps lies, but can we get there? Uh, people in my generation, and you were younger than me, but most people still have heard about the, uh, the, the, the broadcaster, Walter Cronkite. Okay. Uh, Walter Cronkite, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Vietnam War, most people in America were for the Vietnam War. They thought domino theory and all this kind of stuff. And, and we better try to fight these, uh, these people right now and stop them or else the world's going to come to an end. Okay. And so we went into that war. And the politicians, by the way, to get elected, they pretty much had to be for the war. If they was against the war, they didn't get elected. Well, Walter Cronkite finally started getting burnt out in this uh, war, and he started advertising every day. 32 Americans, young Americans, were killed in Vietnam. He started showing pictures of these one dying. Now, 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 think parallel lines. If we had somebody saying every seven minutes in America, we lose someone. Some of these are kids, young kids, buying a Percocet tablet, what they think is a Oman. Okay? That's 300 funerals every day. This isn't all people like with COVID, okay? This is people 15 to 54 years of age, 90% of them. Now, think about him saying it every day. Now, what happened back in the day when once Pride I started doing that, I will say this, he had a captive audience. He didn't have cable, all these other, there was only like three major networks and he was kind of like the biggest uh, face of, of of network news, okay? And what started happening is the tide started turning simply by this people, this mass media approach of exposing the problem, okay? And eventually the politicians, that people then started protesting. He motivated the protesters. And then the politicians started saying, well, wait a second now. There's a lot of opposition out there. I might have a better chance of getting elected opposing the war. Now, we have to have a Walter Cronkite moment. And, and it's not going to be with one particular media leader, okay, because it, it's too diverse now. We need a bunch of them. We need somebody from, from a, a regular. I mean, we, we need as many as we can get. But if we can get one pivotal person in regular mainstream media, and then maybe if we can get somebody on Fox News, okay, uh, conservative media, uh, a leader there to stick their neck out, and then maybe somebody in uh, 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 liberal media, uh, maybe somebody on MSNBC or CNN, God forbid, to some people, okay, uh, not necessarily me, but, but to some people. And we, we need a bunch of these people to start avatars, just like they started avatars, how many COVID deaths you had, how many people were in the hospital, how many people in the ventilator, okay. We got people on the ventilator right now that are brain dead from opiate addictions. We just had a young girl in my hometown, okay, honor student. Her parents lived in a trailer, but she was raising herself out of that. They were a good family, too, though, okay. They lived in a trailer. She's an honor student. She's going to get a, a, a college uh, uh, with the scholarship, okay. Her and her friend about a week before. They take a little splurge. They say, ah, we graduate. They're out of school now, okay? They hear about a Percocet. They get a Percocet. To be on the safe side, they cut it in half. But each take half a Percocet. She dies. Graduation night, her parents pick up the diploma, but her organs are going in somebody else's body. Wow. Okay, and, you know, we have to stop this. August 27th, I'm going to be at the Chinese embassy. With a big nationwide rally, we're going to have to stop fentanyl. And the precursors and the drug is usually coming from China. Now, there's a lot more problems than just China, okay? But we, we're going to try to use that to get the media's attention. That so maybe we can get a couple of champions like Walter Cronkite. Maybe we can get a little sprinkling of, 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 of Walter Cronkite out there. If we can get the American people to really focus on the gravity of this problem, okay, then we got a chance of solving it. And 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 I, I am blessed right now that that maybe I can be one of the people that gives that spark, okay? Uh, because of my show and because of the notoriety and whatnot, it's not gonna, it's never one person, but maybe I can be a spark, and and that's how I think we solve the problem. Now there's a lot of other issues to go about solving a problem,
0: okay? It, you're you're you know you're like like many uh, many more people that we need in our society. You're hitting it on the head there, Dan. You're creating some noise. Um, and that's uh, so fundamental, my, my gosh, when you're at the Chinese embassy and talking about those things, uh, hey, hopefully it'll come up of, uh, yes, there's been laws across the, the ocean saying, you know, the export of these precursors, these chemicals is illegal now, but why are there still tax breaks for making it? Oh, oh that's not covered in the media, right? But if yeah. we had these voices hovering it transparently, both sides of the coin, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Right. boy, what a what a way to start that off. So all right, so w- w- one, uh, one more thing here. I, I, towards uh, I think it's part of the latter parts of your original story uh, we jumped away from, but let's let's jump back for a moment. Uh, the, the interactions with the DEA. You know, you were doing the detective work, you were, but then there's obviously overlap for other investigations that I'm sure were going on and whatnot. Uh, You know, most of us, many of us have seen the shows, of course, but what were your, uh, you know, briefly anyway, even now, what were your thoughts of um, your experiences with DEA investigations? And I, you know, especially through the eyes of a pharmacist, yes, parent, but pharmacist as well, too.
2: No, it was frustrating. I had uh, uh, initially had a problem with the New Orleans Police Department, okay? Uh, with this, my son with the drug deal gone bad thing, okay. But when I started working in trying to approach the DEA and FBI, I thought, well, I'm I'm dealing with a higher level, and a more professional level, okay. And and much as I hate to say, most of them are, okay. Uh, there were some miscommunications went on. There's some secret things that they do that they can't uncover and whatnot. Okay. But I'm not going to give them a total free pass either, okay. It's a shame, but like anybody else, there's egos involved. Sometimes somebody wants to get credit for something. They also are very bureaucratic, okay? And for me, I didn't have that kind of tolerance, okay? Uh, for, for instance, I later was to learn that maybe part of the, 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 the problem I had with the FBI was that they thought they was going to get a bigger fish. So they were sort of delaying shutting this doctor down. Of course, they weren't looking at the kids and the parents of these kids that were dying, okay? To them, it was, can we get the big fish? Well, actually, in her case, she didn't have that big of a fish. The big fish was Purdue, and nobody was going after them, okay? But there was a local politician that helped out, and I actually figured that out also, okay? and uh, But there was a competition that they kind of didn't want me to be able to solve this. It was kind of made them look bad, and that was never my goal. My goal was just to shut it down. I wish they would have done it. I I tried to present them with evidence, okay? And I I think even that relationship, now this was all 20 years ago, okay? I I, I think they're better now. And by the way, I've been asked to speak at at, at some FBI training sessions and DEA training sessions. And the the most disappointing thing I had with the DAs, I, I recruited a young man that had a, a little bit of a drug problem himself, and he went to this bed doctor, and he he tells me a story that that he worked on a computer. He also worked for a computer company with printers, and he went there one day to fix a computer, and he fixed it, and he, at the end he said he gave him a bill, and they handed him like three prescriptions, of oxycontin, and he said, well. He says, no, he says, "Uh, uh, uh, you know, I need to bring money back to my boss. And the the, the security guard at the time said, uh, look, you know what's good for you? Get the hell out of here. Now, those prescriptions, by the way, were worth big money. Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) They were worth big money. Anyway, this kid who seemed to have a little bit of a drug problem, he kind of was distantly related to me. He kind of knew him a little bit. He, He didn't like what he saw going on. And this, he thought, was over the top. He told me about this story. I talked to him and going to the DEA and delivering that story. I brought him to the DEA, okay? And and, and, and this is what happened there. And and I hate to say it, you know, I guess they got pressures to produce or whatever. But they started intimidating him and said, look, you know, we need you to give your names to these friends that are dealing with these pills. They forgot about what he was bringing to shut the doctor down. They started threatening him. Well, I got damn pissed off about that. You know, I I, I flat talked with the, and and, and that didn't make many friends with the DEA, okay? But I said, I'll go to to Channel 4 News, and I said, I'll bring this kid in to give you all information to shut this doctor down, okay? And you're worried about one of his friends that might sell a few pills on the side or something? Uh, You know, it just ticked me off. But, you know, a lot of it's bureaucracy. Uh, They try hard. They have, in fairness, I was a, a free spirit in a sense that I didn't have to play by the rules that they have to play by. Uh, and getting it to the, the medical board eventually, we didn't need a, 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 beyond reasonable doubt, we needed preponderance of evidence. We was able to go on to that, okay? And so uh, my relationship with FBI DA has improved. I hope they watch my show and it helps them to improve. Uh, I think one thing that's going to help them a lot now is Most of them have a different attitude about addicts. Uh, They have stigma themselves that that causes them to do different things. Okay. Now some of they know somebody that died down the street. They They might have a son or daughter themselves that has an issue.
0: It, it's almost like uh, it's almost like our society is is starting to defeat stigma in in itself. It's just a, the evolution of time. Even, uh, you know, you know what I'm hearing there, Dan, is that uh, it's something that uh, myself and my my kid even say: uh, fishing is best where fewest fish. It, you know, whether it's the FBI, DOJ, DEA, or Dan Schneider, everyone was fishing. Everyone has the same intentions, but everybody's got a different tackle box along the way too. But you were fishing where it was best. There was fewest <laughs> people there too. So, it, you know, um, one more thing here. Uh, one thing I just want to ask everybody uh, here on the pain pod as well. Go a little bit lighter, I guess, but we'll see. Um, what What is your favorite pain medication and why?
2: All right, okay. Well, actually, my favorite pain medication right now is Aleve. Uh, it's, gotcha. it's mainly mainly, <laughs> mainly an anti-inflammatory. Uh, they tell me too, and I was never a big fan of Tylenol, and you can't take a lot of Tylenol, but they tell me in certain instances, Tylenol along with something like leave, they work by different mechanisms, that, they can relieve pain. And uh, beyond beyond that now, again, on a short-term basis, I'm okay with certain opioids. If you don't have a predisposition or you haven't had an addiction issue, if it's short-term, uh, but Aleve is pretty much uh, one of my favorite medications for the normal aches and pains that you get and whatnot. And I'm getting older now. I got some arthritis. Okay, and the opioids would probably make me feel better and 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 cover it up a little bit. But the but we don't need that. We know we know the side effects of that.
0: Yeah, you're you're not looking to use a nuke for a, you know a little tree shrub or something, right? It, it, it,
2: it, um, that's a good and, point.
0: I, I can appreciate that. It, you even went OTC, over-the-counter self-care there, as far as your answer. I can appreciate that. Ibuprofen
2: works too. Aleve is like a little, maybe a step up above hey, uh, ibuprofen, but they, they similar, the same thing, basically.
0: You mentioned Tylenol, acetaminophen, or dare we say paracetamol, like the entire rest of the globe. Uh, in our country, there's 50,000 ER visits a year for that, and it's over-the-counter. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we'll talk about that on another uh, Paint Pot yes. episode someday. But, um, you know, Dan, I, I really want to thank you uh, not only for your time here today, because that's the most precious thing out there, but, you know, for for everything you've gone over. I, I really, truly hope that you've inspired others, not just to go to uh, your organization of tunnelofhope.org, but but to, in our everyday lives, go out there, volunteer, provide some information. We're pharmacists, we're the medicine experts. Do something. Do it smartly, but do something.
2: Stand up and be counted. You're right. Everybody can do, you don't have to go as far as I went. Okay. That, that's kind of crazy. I mean, that's dangerous. Okay. But do a little, if everybody does a little something, okay, we can make a difference in this.
0: Absolutely. And and you know what, uh, folks that are listening, uh, Hey, if you ever want to be on the pain pod today, tomorrow, or five years from now. Uh, easiest thing is probably just message me on LinkedIn. Um, I chat with folks on there all the time, so we'd love to have you. Just like we had the pharmacist here today, and can't thank you enough, Dan, or shall I say, the pharmacist, of course. Um, you know, one of the things we we chatted about here, uh, perhaps towards the end, was uh, the, this uh, the DEA, DOJ, the you know the other side, is overlap with healthcare, all the cases going on, all that. So. I just want to invite everybody to join us on our next episode of the Pain Pod. I, th- I think we'll go into discussing the uh, the age-old mantra of uh, pigs live, hogs die. In other words, uh, DEA red flags. It, you know what do they mean, all healthcare professionals? And by golly, especially us pharmacists. They're, they're, there's there's enough lawsuits and court cases to pack a continent. Yeah, you know, how do we keep ourselves out of hot water and above water to help our patients in pain? So everyone. Join us next time on The Pain Pod. Come one, come all to The Pain
1: Pod. If you'd like to join Mark on The Pain Pod, send us an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. And make sure to share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thanks for listening.